You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, summertime, fun time, right? Trips, vacations. Who has taken a road trip already this summer? All right, some of you guys. You went to to, uh, uh, Arizona, went to the Grand Canyon. Bob and Irene, happy anniversary. Their anniversary is this last week. And uh, they, they like to take little road trips, day trips and stuff, so that's exciting. Uh, who else? Road trips? You guys got back from Idaho, right? Just a little bit. I follow you all on Facebook, so I know what's going on in your life. <laughs> now, actually, uh, you know, summer camp's coming up, a great slew of memories, family memories. But, but you know, honestly, not all memories are good, you know. Not all of our family memories are, are good. You know, we, we try maybe as, as, a, as adults to give our family maybe new memories to replace the bad memories maybe that some of us had uh, because not all family memories are good memories. And we're actually going to look at a character today in the Bible who, who has uh, terrible family memories uh, and some good ones, some beautiful ones, and then some tragic ones. And then, thankfully, some, some beautiful ones again. Our main text uh, for this series is in Luke Chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus has a surprise Bible study with two disciples uh, the day that he is resurrected. And this is what it says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So as Jesus talked about how the Old Testament was about his story and about his life and pictures of him, the Bible says that their hearts begin to burn within them for God and for Jesus. So the big question is, is how well do you know your Jesus? So we're diving into the bigger picture of who Jesus is. He transcends uh, just 2,000 years ago in Christmas morning. He's actually the God of all creation who's been around forever and ever and who is right there in Genesis chapter 1. And every book of the Bible is about Jesus all the way to Revelation. So we've been looking at some of those. Places where Jesus shows up as an appearance, a prophecy, a person, or a type. Sometimes he shows up as a cameo, sometimes as a symbol, sometimes as a picture. There are so many of them. I mean, every book of the Bible has dozens of them. We've only scratched the surface. Today we're going to look at one character who has a tragic event in his life, but he sees Jesus in the middle of it. His story's in the Old Testament. Storms in life come. Anybody here ever gone through a, a storm in their life? Raise your hand if you've been like, I've had a storm or two. <laughs> I've had one. If you haven't had one yet, it's coming. <laughs> There's a storm coming. There's always a storm coming. And with that storm often comes pain and some suffering. Today, how to find peace in the midst of the chaos of our life. Um, we're going to look at a book that's often misunderstood, uh, many times misquoted, and And his name is not Job. His name is Job. All right. So we're going to look at a guy whose name is Job. J-O-B in the Old Testament. Here's a quick background check on Job. Um, People are divided over his origin and whether it's meaning. It's the oldest book in the Bible. It it, it uh, covers a time period that is before uh, Moses wrote um, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, um, so it, it's one of the oldest stories in the Bible, covering one of the most uh, difficult subjects of, of the earth, which is the problem of pain and suffering. Uh, also, it's set in a poetic prose style, which means anybody here remember Macbeth? 
Remember that Shakespeare where there's like pages and pages of, of soliloquies and, and, and speeches? Job is like that. You can have one character talking for chapters at a time. So it's written as a pro. And uh, actually, many believe that it was written twice, that it was written originally, and then that it was rewritten um, about a few hundred years later uh, when they rebuilt the temple and they started like collecting the, the, uh, the Old Testament books. And some people believe that it, the, a lot of the, the, lo- the longer parts of Job were added at that time. Um, it is uh, incredibly intelligent writing. In fact, it's considered one of the most dynamic, intelligent uh, pieces of literature ever written on the planet. It, it, when you think about the date of this letter and the insight into science and to weather patterns and, and just into the knowledge of animals and, and biology, it is, it is one of the most uh, intelligently uh, knowledgeable books at the time, as well as covering some of the most dynamic writing styles ever written. So for some people, reading Job is really, really hard because it is long and, 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 and it's complex and it's deep. We're just going to do a flyover today. But the real question is, is this a true story? Is it just a poem or is it a true story? And the answer is yes, it is both. It is a poem. It is considered literature. In fact, the Bible is broken up into like history and into prophecy and literature. This is in the category of literature, all right? But it's also a true story. How do we know that it's a true story? Well, because it's quoted as a true story. James, the half-brother of Jesus, quotes Job in James 5.11, and he, first, he refers to Job as a historic person. The Apostle Paul quotes Job twice as a real person. He is considered an actual person who lived. This is not just a symbolic story, but it is a true story. It's one of the few Old Testament books about someone who's not a Hebrew. So this is pretty significant too. This is before the state of Israel began. This, is, this precedes uh, the date of, of, uh, of Israel. Many believe Job is uh, the grandfather of Jethro. And I'm not talking about the Beverly Hibbelies. Um, I'm talking about Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. Many believe that Job is Jethro's great-grandfather. And that many believe that, that Job is also one of the grandsons of Esau, Abraham's other son. So there's like all these connections on where Job is and where he came from. Um, so we know, many believe that, that Jethro gave Moses the book of Job. And that's why it shows up early uh, amongst the Torah, but not considered part of the Torah. So here we go. Moses mentions, by the way, Job's friends in Genesis 36, so we know that he had Job in his possession while he was writing Genesis. It's interesting that the oldest book in the Bible is about suffering. It's about pain, which is the biggest question of life. If God is good, if God is in control, if God is in charge of everything, why is there pain and suffering? Why do we get sick? Why is there disease? Why, why is there tragic why is there storms that wipe out communities? Why, why is there, you know, um, earthquakes and all, all these things happen in the book of Job, all of them. And it asks a bigger question, God, where are you in the middle of all of this? So that's the story of Job. Let's dive into Job 1.1. We're going to read all 42 chapters this morning. Just kidding. It's a really long book, so 
uh, if you're going to tackle it, uh, I'll tell you where to start reading because <laughs> it, it gets really, really cumbersome the first half. So, but we're going to try to do a flyover of the whole book. And many of you guys maybe have heard me speak on Job before. Well, this is the power of remembrance, all right? So hopefully it will help you to remember the essence of Job. Job 1.1, in the land of Uz, I like that. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Some might say that Job was a sinful person because many, many of you maybe know the story a little bit about Job. Job is a guy who has everything, but then he loses everything. And that he uh, never loses his faith in God, however. And so he gets twice uh, of everything at the end of the story. So like it all ends in a happy ending. I want to tell you something right now. Anytime you lose your children, it's never a happy story. Okay? He loses children. He loses a lot more than children. He loses friends. He loses almost everything in his life. And we're like, well, it's a happy ending. Not without a tragic story. And without a lot of pain. I mean, if one of my daughters died uh, and I got another daughter, two more daughters to replace her, they don't replace my daughters. You know what I mean? So no matter how the story ends, this is a tragic story. All right? And a lot of people think, well, he must have been a bad person. He was a sinful person. And God, you know, helped him to get back on his feet. Listen, Job was not a sinful person. He didn't suffer because he was a bad person. Look what it says. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. This was a person who was righteous through faith in the Lord God. He was a good person. He was blameless before the Lord. He, he shunned evil. The fact the Bible even goes on to say, look what it says. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among the people of the east. The Bible goes on to say that he would often offer sacrifices uh, to the Lord and special prayers to the Lord throughout the week just in case his family were doing bad things. So he, he didn't just try to live a righteous life, but he tried his very best to look out for his children and to make sure that his heart was always right before the Lord. And some people believe that as one of the grandsons of Esau, that he was actually a king, but we don't know that, but that's speculation as to uh, who is Job. But we know that he was, says he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Then... By the time we get to chapter 3, look what it says. How did he get from the greatest man to here in Job 3.1? After this, Job opened his mouth, cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night it was said, a boy is born. That day may turn into darkness. May God above not care about me. May no light shine upon it. So he, he goes from this incredibly blessed human being Righteous and blameless before God and men, one of the greatest men in the East, to I wish I'd never been born. I wish I would have died at my birth. God, have your way and take my life now. What was, what was it that took him to such a dark place? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt, God, just take me now. I wish I'd never been born. So let's go behind the curtain. Let's go back to Job chapter 1, verse 8. An interaction between God and the deceiver. 
The word deceiver is what is found in the book of Job, okay? The adversary is the, is the literal translation. Now, the word adversary has been translated into the word Satan. So whenever you read the word Satan in Job, the word is actually adversary, the one who fights against you. But God is the one who fights for you, all right? So Job is a person who loves God, and then here comes Satan, and he wants an audience with God. He wants to meet with him, and God points out Job. He says, hey, Satan, you may be wicked, but look, this is Job. He's one of the righteous men on earth, and this is what he says. Then the Lord said to Satan, literally adversary, listen, adversary, have you considered my servant Job? Now, he's not saying, hey, have at it with Job. He's, Satan is saying, you know what? People don't love you. You know, people are selfish. You know, uh, you know people only love you because you do good things for them. And, and then God says, well, what about Job? Job is a man who's got an incredible heart for me. He says, well, consider Job. There's no one on earth like him, God says. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. I want you to realize this. God says Job is righteous. God says Job is blameless and upright. God says it. So don't let anyone ever tell you that Job was a sinner I mean, we're all sinners. We're going to find out that one of the major characters in the story says, hey, Job, you're not as good as you think. But he was not a person living in sin, okay? We're all sinful, but he wasn't living in sin. God says, man, he's a person who shuns evil, does his best. Remember, Job, he was a good man. Well, Satan says, well, he only loves you because of all the good stuff he has. And God says, really? You think so? And so what follows next is hell on earth for Job. Because God says, all right, Satan, I'll prove to you that Job loves me no matter what. Do whatever you want to him. Now, I have to ask when I read this story, why in the world would God give the adversary permission to attack Job? Well, God in his foreknowledge knows all things and knows what was going to happen the tragic pain that was going to ensue, but somehow God had a purpose and a plan in all, but I don't like it. I don't like this scenario. I don't like that he gave the enemy the opportunity to destroy Job's life. He said, you can do anything you want to Job except kill him. You can do anything you want to his family. You can do anything you want to his health. You can do anything you want to his home and to his friends and his servants and his business and all of his possessions. You can do anything you want. Just don't kill him. So Satan then comes at him with three tests, three tests that we have today. Three tests the enemy tries to attack us with. The adversary comes to us with a loss of family, a loss of possessions, or a loss of health. There are four messengers that show up to Job. And the first messenger says, Job, your daughters and your sons were ambushed by enemies and they were, many of them were slaughtered. Many of your grandchildren were killed, and some of your children were killed. And the ones that weren't killed were taken off as slaves, and we don't know where they are. Messenger number one. Messenger number two, another one comes. He says, your other children, by the way, that first one is, the, is war, is violence, it's crime. It's, it's, it's criminal, violent behavior. And oppression. So the second messenger comes and he says, uh, your other children, there was a massive tornado. There was a storm that came in and 
It crushed them. The storm took out their house, and the house collapsed on top of your children and killed them. It's a tragic environmental disaster, like a tsunami or a tornado or an earthquake. He says, the house collapsed and crushed your children. Loss of family. But when Job hears this, he refuses to curse God, and out of his lips comes hallelujah and praise. I will praise the Lord. Here's the second test, the loss of possessions. A third messenger shows up and says, man, your business, all your possessions, all the things you owned, well, there was a, a fire, and, and they burned down everything you owned. They burned down all of your investments. They burned up everything that you trusted in. All of that business, all that work, all those buildings, all those animals, all those things, they burned to the ground. And then a fourth messenger, messenger shows up, and he says, uh, uh, your possessions in this area, all your other, you were robbed. Some people came in and robbed and stole everything. Man, everything that could happen is happening here. Crime and violence and war and disaster and, and, and hurricanes and tornadoes. And, and then you have fires and then you have thievery. I mean, everything that could happen to a person is happening to Job. A lot of us, we think, well, he lost some family members and he got sick. No, everything Everything violent and vile that you could think of. God, why do you allow these things to happen to happen to Job? But through this incredible amount of inner pain, he chooses to bless God. And he says, I will bless you. I will praise you. And then there's a third test, the loss of health. Satan takes another try, and he begins to make Job incredibly, incredibly sick. With, the, with boils and pain and chronic pain. Some of you have experienced chronic pain. And, you know, there, I know people, my mother lived her whole life with chronic pain. And there were times when it's, it's so bad you just want to be dead because there's no remedy for the pain. And, and you just get so frustrated and so angry. And, and even if you had some reprieve, you'd be able to be thankful. But when the pain doesn't ever go away and you're just praying and you're praying and it doesn't go away, you just, God, why? Why do you allow this? I mean, if you've ever lost someone, think about it. If you've ever lost someone you love or lost a job or lost your health, you've been where Job is. But Job refused to curse God, and he blessed God, and he praised him. But we all ask the questions that Job asked. So let's take a look at Job chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. <laughs> and I love this. His wife is so encouraging. Look at verse 9. His wife says to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. What a woman. <laughs> you know? So even his wife, I'm, I'm, I'll be like, Lord, <laughs> enemy, <laughs> it's like, take her. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> she's, she's just making it worse. It's like the enemy says, you know, I'm not going to take her. I'm going to leave her to be a thorn in your flesh, right? So she just harasses him. You should just die. You should just curse God. Go kill yourself. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Any of you men ever said that to your wife? Here's a tip. Don't. <laughs> Don't say it to your wife. 
He says, you're talking like a foolish woman. And then he says this, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Though in great pain, he will not curse God with his lips. So then three friends show up. And this is what's interesting. These three friends make up almost half of the, of the book of Job. And so if you're going to read the book of Job, uh, you might either want to skim through the three friends real fast because they talk for a long time and they mix what they say with truth and lie. And so you're reading it like, that sounds right, so this must be right. No, just know that whatever comes out of their mouth is not true. They, they love Job a lot. They love him. The best thing they do is when they show up, they just sit with him in silence. That's the best thing you can do when a friend is hurting. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to solve it. Don't give them Bible answers. Just sit with them and, and, and feel pain with them. That's it. The problem came when they opened up their mouth. Because what they began to do is they began to try to tell him what the problem was. And it was mixed with truth about God, but also with opinion that was wrong. So these good-intentioned, loving friends gave him really bad advice. It happens all the time, all right? So when you're reading the book of Job, be very careful because these guys talk for a long time, and what they say is half true and half lie. So here's one of them. Let's just look at a few of what some of them said. Three friends, three friends show up. Three visits, uh, Job chapter 2, verse 11. So when Job's three friends, the names are Elphaz, uh, Bildad, and Zophar. I love Zophar. That's a cool name. Uh, said when they heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, upon Job, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Good intentions. But sometimes good intention friends give us the wrong advice. The Bible says that when they were walking up, they saw him from a distance and their heart broke. They, they were crushed for him. They loved him. You've got friends that love you a lot that just give you bad advice. All right? Some of you have friends that are Christians that are immature and they give you bad advice. Some of you have non-Christian friends that love you, but they're giving you bad advice. All right? These are three friends that love Job. Good intentions. Wrong advice. Here's what the three friends, the meaning of these three guys is debated to this day, but each of these three friends give three different advice scenarios. So we're going to look at them. The first one, Elphaz, is up first. Job 4, 12, it says, a word, this is what Elphaz said. He says, a word was secretly brought to me. If you have your Bible, circle secretly. Secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it. Amid disquieting dreams in the night, when deep sleep falls on men, Fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face. And the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. That's another thing you need to underline. I couldn't tell what it was. See, here was the problem with this guy. He was about to listen to a spirit that he couldn't tell who it was. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, we must test every spirit, every voice. Anything that you hear in your head, you need to test it to Scripture. This guy did not test it to God's character. This is what he says. This spirit, I couldn't tell what it was. He said, a, stood, a form stood before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be righteous more than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? And then he goes on to say that I saw a vision 
And the Spirit came to me, and the Spirit told me, Job, that you are sinful and that you failed God and that God is judging you because of, because of your sins. So here's what the first friend's advice was. You need more spiritual mysteries. You need to get a little bit more mystical. You know, you might describe this as there's a fascination with the occult today. There's a lot of people, man, yeah, I know the Bible speaks, but I want my fortune read. You know, I know that God's speaking me through his word, but, but I want to talk to some psychic. Or I want to read my zodiac sign. Or I want to, you know, call Miss, what's her name, Cleo or Cleo, she, is she even alive anymore? <laughs> you know, these psychic television people or this friend or, or go to the, some occult gathering or, 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 you know, you just, you want a sign. You want some mystical sign. Listen, you might have some spirit show up to you, but you won't know what it is. And just like Zilphaz, uh, I'm sorry, Elphaz, the problem was is that he was saying, Job, you need more spiritual experiences. You need more mystical, you need more goosebumps. He says, man, I got these goosebumps. See, some of you, God is speaking, but it's not giving you goosebumps. He's speaking through his word, and it's not making the hairs on your arm stand up. But all of a sudden, you watch that movie, and you start thinking about ghosts and spirits, and you think, oh, my grandma talked to me. And say, no, she didn't. It is appointed for man to die once, and then judgment. When you die, you face your maker. You don't get to hover around earth and give advice to your family. Those are false spirits. But we want the goosebumps. And this is what he was saying. This is wrong advice. Personal spirits, new age, visions, uh, Cults and the occult, you're going to find that each of Job's friends, like many religions, have a mixture of truth and lies. False spiritual advice equals confusion. So Elphaz tells Job, this mystery spirit says that God never afflicts the innocent. Therefore, Job must have done something guilty and deserves it. Job responds, I wish I was dead. <laughs> You're not giving me peace, friend. So here's the next friend. The next friend, Bildad, steps up. Job 8.8, 8. we'll ju jump into that there. He says, ask the former generations. This is what Bildad says. Job, he says, you need to ask the former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow. Will, you not, uh, will they not instruct you and tell you? Will they not bring forth words from their understanding. He says, here's the answer, Job. Get into the books. Read a little bit more. Find out what's happening in the history of the course of man and science. Here's what Bildad says. While the first one says you need more mystical experiences, the occult, this one says you need more wisdom from men. Go back to the ancients, he says. Return to the old ways. Get more educated. See, a lot of us, we try to find peace in life through education. There's a lot of people who are atheists and agnostics because the problem of pain and suffering says that God can't exist if there's pain in life. So they go back to education. They go back to the wisdom of men, and they base their whole life on just experiences that are temporary, science, and say, well, there is no God because there's hurt and pain and suffering. And so they lean on man's wisdom. And that's a response that a lot of people have to pain and suffering. And Bill Dad says, hey, man, you need to go back to the books. You need to go back to education, knowledge, reason, philosophy. 
Man, let me tell you something. God loves knowledge, but it cannot bring peace. Build out ads. You obviously deserve God's judgment. Job responds, man, I wish I was dead. Man's wisdom cannot bring peace. Zophar, the next friend, is last. He steps up, and we're going to read it in Job 11. He says, this is what Zophar says. Zophar says, Job, he says, if you will devote your heart to him, to God, and stretch out your hands to him, to God, and if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent or in your house, then you will lift up your face without shame, and you will stand firm and without fear. He says, this is the deal. Job, you're going through struggles because you obviously lack faith. You're not religious enough, Job. You don't have enough confession. You know, bad things are happening because you're confessing bad things. You need to confess good things. You need to get the sin out of your life and start being a positive confessional faith. This is the person, Zophar, his problem was, while one said you need to get more mystical, occultic, one of them said you need to get more educated. This one says you need to get a little bit more religious. So you need to get a little bit more religion. You need to go to church more often. Stop talking negative and start confessing positive words. And, and just, you know, you've obviously got sin in your life. Get, out, get the sin out of your life and, and be a person of faith and watch God turn everything around. Some of you might have experienced this. Some people say, man, if you're going through a hard time, you just need to go to church more. Some of you are like, well, you just need to pray more. You just need to have more faith. You need to have more rules. You need to stop doing certain things and have, uh, think positive, try harder, get rid of the sin and live a perfect life and you'll have a perfect life. See, here's the problem with religion. You can never max out the religious requirements if religion is your goal. Some of you might have experienced this, but you end up feeling never good enough, and you, you always feel guilty, you always feel shame, and you end up blaming yourself. Every, if you get sick, you're like, man, it must be my fault. I must have sin in my life, or I must have said something bad, or I must not be a person of faith, and, and I'm praying, and I'm not getting results. I must have sin in my life, or I must not be praying hard enough. I must not be believing hard enough. See, Zophar says you just need more religion. You need more faith. But you see, going back to what God said, Job was blameless. He was upright. He was not a person walking in sin. He was not a person who lacked faith. In fact, everything that came his way, his response was, I bless the Lord. I bless the Lord. You try, but you still haven't found what you're looking for. You two song, you know, still haven't found what I'm looking for. You guys remember that song? That song is all about them doing everything that's right, but they still can't find peace. They've seen the cross. They've walked with Calvary. They've seen Jesus. They, they have Jesus in their life. They sing in this song, but they still haven't found what they're looking for. That's because what they're looking for is religion, and they'll never find peace with religion. No peace. Man, there's young people leaving church by the droves, shaking off their parents' religion, because if we're cramming religion down our families and our kids' throats, they will never have peace. Job's response to Zophar was, I wish I was dead. Religion doesn't bring peace. So Job was getting more and more frustrated with his friends. 
good-intentioned, half-truth, but dead-wrong friends. Job increasingly uh, is berated by them. Job responds, Job 13, 15, he says, Though he slay me, God, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. So I've got here, um, I've got some chicken poop in this can here. Uh, it's, it's real. Anybody want some chicken poop? It's, it's, a, it's lip balm called chicken poop. <laughs> Anybody? I've got a few of them. Who wants some? All right. Give you one. There you go. I'm only going to give a few out. Anybody over here want some chicken poop? All right. Come in your way, Kim. Feel free to show it to your neighbor. Anybody want some chicken poop over here? All right. I'm going to go to Betsy. All right. Here, I have one for you too. All right. Anybody else? I'll give you one more. I got to save some for second service. Chicken poop. Okay, here you go. Oh, so close. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> I, should throw, I, I should throw overhand. All right, chicken poop. Everybody get your chicken poop out. Mm. I've always loved this chapstick. It's called chicken poop. And it says, when it, it says on it, 100% pure free-range chicken poop. Lip junk. And it says, put, put it on your lips. <laughs> All right, but if you read the ingredients, it's not real chicken poop, so you're okay. All right, but here's the deal with this chicken poop. I have a question for you. Job says, though he slay me, I will surely defend my ways. I will hope in him. A lot of us, when life starts going bad, what's coming off your lips? What's on your lips? You know, Job began to say, every time something happened, I will bless the Lord. Every time something happened, though he slay me, I will bless him. You know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. You ever heard that verse before? That's in Job. When Job loses everything, he says, man, everything came from God. Why should I be upset if he wants it all back? It's his to give and his to take away. And he says, I will bless the Lord. So uh, what we do, as soon as trials come, as soon as chaos comes, as soon as heartache comes, we pull out the chicken poop. And off our lips comes garbage, comes negativity, comes, uh, you know, just hate and, and defensiveness and anger and, and frustration with God. I love the heart of Job. Though he slay me, though if God wants to take my life out, I will praise him. No chicken poop on my lips. What's on your lips? Some of you guys lick your lips. Some of you guys got poop on your lips. Chicken poop. <laughs> My lips have got lip balm. <laughs> Look at Job 16, verse 1. It says, then Job replied, I've heard many things like this. You are miserable comforters, all of you. I like how he says, I love you guys, but you're terrible friends. He goes, uh, will your long-winded speeches ever end? What ails you? that you keep on arguing. I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I would treat you better. He says, but my mouth would encourage you. Comfort my lips. A comfort from my lips would bring you relief. My face is red with weeping. Dark shadows ring my eyes. Yet my hands have been free of violence and my prayer is pure. I know that God is in control, and I know that he's good, but God, I still don't know why. His friends, the answer is mysticism, knowledge, and religious works. Job crying out for someone who could stand before God and him. This is what he says in Job 19. He says, 
Man, my relatives have failed. My close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I'm an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. Any husbands, you've been there before? Yeah, I've been there. It says, my breath is offensive to my wife. And I'm repulsive to the children of my own body. Even young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. And my close friends abhor me. Uh, And those whom I love have turned against me. In pain, he says something amazing. Yet still, Lord, I will praise you. At every turn, Job's friends attack. And he always expresses in that pain a sense of hope. Then a mystery friend, a fourth friend named Elihu shows up, and he is a dynamic character. We're not going to read from him. I, I suggest that you uh, read Elihu. He, he, uh, he shows up out of nowhere, this mystery, and he's the youngest one in the bunch. He's younger than the other three friends, and he's the only person in Job that refers to himself as I. So many people believe that perhaps this Elihu actually wrote the book of Job. He's the only one who says, I this, I this, I this. So this is pretty unique. So Elihu shows up. He speaks God's words to Job and then, boom, vanishes. He just disappears. His challenge to Job is this. Job, you're not as perfect as you think, but God loves you. And friends, you're all wrong. And he goes one by one and says, how dare you attack Job? How dare you attack Job? And also, he goes back to Job and says, but Job, God does as he pleases. Don't forget this. He's good, but he does what he pleases without your permission. And he says, God doesn't owe you a reason for anything that he does. So for five chapters, Elihu contends God's power, salvation, his absolute righteousness in all of his ways. He defends Job to these other guys, and then boom, he's gone. Many people believe that Elihu is actually a picture of Jesus, a Jesus sighting, because Elihu's name means I am God, or he is God, rather. So there's this picture of Elihu, this guy who shows up, whose name is he is God, who defends Job to these friends, so-called friends, encourages Job, immediately disappears, and the second that Elihu disappears, a voice comes from the storm, from the clouds, and it's God speaking to Job. God begins to talk to him. Let's look at what he says, some of what he says, because he talks for chapters. This is where Job really gets good. Elihu and God's conversation with Job is the best part of Job. If you read it, focus on those. Job 31 verse, uh, sorry, 38 verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. By the way, that's where God speaks the loudest, isn't it? Sometimes it's in the middle of the storm that we can hear God the best. You know, it's in the midst of our chaos, sometimes in a still small voice in the midst of the storm of our life. He says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? He's like, who are, who are you, Job, to question me? He says, brace yourself like a man. I love that. <laughs> brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. And then for the next five chapters... God says, did you create anything? Uh, Did you give life to anything? Can you take life? Can you bring the seasons? Can you bring the rain? Did you create the animals? Did you, uh, can you heal people? Can you make mountains out of nothing? Can you design the human body? 
Did you put the cosmos in its place? I mean, God really grills Job over and over. Did you, did you, did you? And the answer to all this is no, I didn't. I don't have the power to do any of this. And God says, I do. So why are you questioning me in what I'm doing with you? Job responds, God, you are and I've always been in control. God says, so trust me then, even when you don't understand it. Job is eventually blessed with twice that he lost and even becomes a mediator for God to his friends. So let's take a real quick look at what Job can tell us. Job's walk away. This will take seconds. We're going to go quickly. Is The first thing is this. God has full and complete power at all times. There's not a moment when God relinquishes or gives power away. He is always in control. We see this right in the first chapter. Satan has no, the adversary had no power unless the Lord gives him the power, unless the Lord gives him the opportunity or gives him the ability, including over what Satan can and cannot do. God is always in power, is always in control. Now, this might be one that's hard to swallow, but if there's anything good that happens, it's not because God lost control. It's because God is allowing something bad to happen. That just blows your mind right there. That might be hard to believe, but God is always, always, turn to your neighbor and say always, always in full and complete control and power. So God asks Job, are you in control of anything? Here's the second thing, Job walkways, when trials come, it's your integrity that is questioned. When your trials come, when your, when your problems in your marriage come and your finances in your job or, or when things are going uh, bad in your life, Job's wife says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. You know, when trials come, we tend to scheme and we tend to compromise our own integrity. Well, I deserve a break, so I'm going to indulge in this habit. Or things are tough. I'm trying my best. I deserve a little break. I'm going to go get drunk for a little bit or watch this movie or watch, uh, you know, porn or whatever. You know, I just feel like I need a break and I deserve it. Life's tough. You know, I need, you know, we tend to lose our integrity in the moments of trial. But Job is an example for us. He would not allow the adversary to take him down in this way. Here's the third thing Job's walk away is that sometimes good people suffer. This is the reality of life. Job denounces what's known as retribution theology. Retribution theology says that wise and righteous people always prosper and that foolish, sinful people will always be penalized. Guess what? Sometimes in this life, sinful people are successful. And sometimes in this life, righteous people suffer. In the next life, there is a full retribution, but in this life, retribution theology is not a reality. Suffering is not a sign of sin in your life. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's a fruit of your sinful choices, but sometimes suffering is a result of a life in a world, in a, a, a gene pool of creation that is broken. When suffering comes, God remains enough and deserves our trust. Sometimes good people suffer. Here's the next thing. Oh, oh by the way, uh, Job was a righteous man. God said so himself. God prepared through Job a picture of Jesus here. Jesus, the righteous suffering servant. Job was the righteous suffering servant. 
Jesus, who was without sin, who suffered even death on a cross, the suffering lamb. Job prepares the way for the mentality, even in the oldest book of the Bible, that yes, a righteous one will suffer. Number four, uh, Job's walk away is that sometimes we don't know why we hurt. God never told Job why he suffered, just that he was in control. See, a lot of times when we have pain and suffering, we just want to know why. But you know what? Sometimes you're not going to get a why. Sometimes there is no why that you'll know in this life. Sometimes you won't understand the pain and suffering of this life. But God says, I'm not always going to tell you why, but I want you to trust me anyhow. That's why it's faith. That's why it's trust. Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 says, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways, uh, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, Job gives us partial answers, but more questions. We read this, and we kind of see behind the curtain what's happening, but we never get a why. We just get a how. The answer you get from God is simply, well, I'm the creator, and I'm good. Trust me. Here's the fifth thing that we can learn from Job is that trials can bring us the clearest view of Jesus. Sometimes it's in our trials that we see Jesus the clearest. Job says this in Job 42, 5. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He says, man, I I believed in you and I trusted you, but now that I've gone through this incredible, painful trial in my life, I feel like I know you. I feel like I've seen you now. I've seen your face. It was in those moments of pain that Job understood who Jesus was. It was out of the storm that God spoke to Job the loudest. I know a few years ago, many of you guys know that I had cancer in 2009. I want to tell you, that was one of the greatest years of my life. I probably heard God clearer and louder than I've ever heard my entire life. It was in that suffering that I felt like I was the closest to God. Because the storms can give us the clearest views of Jesus. Here's the sixth one. Restoration follows forgiveness. This is a really cool one. The turning point for Job was when he forgave his friends. These guys that were good intention but wrong, look what it says. This stood out to me just a few weeks ago for the first time. Job 42, 10 says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, look at this, when he prayed for his friends. We often think, well, it's a sad story for Job, but then he got twice. But this was the turning point. When did it happen? His life began to turn around when he began to pray and mediate and and be there for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 5 where he says, if you have something, if you have a problem with somebody, before you can connect with, with God, Jesus says, you need to go back to that friend and get it right with them and then come back. Let me tell you something. Your breakthrough is gonna be when you forgive. It's when you start praying for your husband or your wife or those friends or those people that hurt you or your parents, your breakthrough, your life is going to be restored when you forgive. This is the last one. Is it, and this is where we get this coming attraction of Jesus, is that there is a mediator between us and God. His name is Jesus, and Job saw him. You mean, what do you mean Job saw him? Job realized the problem, that he was sinful. 
He, he may not be living in sin, but as a human being, we're all sinful. So he knew that there was a barrier between him and, and God. Even though he was living a righteous life before God, he knew he was still a person of sin. And that his ways more complex to his. Job, worried and bewildered about this, was looking for someone to mediate with him. Um, this is what a mediator is. I need someone to, uh, Sam, can you come up here? And I need one, hey, John, can you come up here? This is a mediator. This is what a mediator does real quick. I'm going to try to get this done. Is it stand right here uh, on my left, and you stand on my right. All right, this is man, and this is God, and this is what it, and, and you can't get there. A mediator does this. It puts, a mediator puts his hand on each shoulder, and you talk to me, and then I talk to the Father, and then I talk, you know, and then you talk to me, and then I talk to, to man. That's what a mediator does. And Job's thinking, here's him, here's the Father. God, if there was just someone to stand in the middle of us, if there was just a mediator, if there was just someone who could put his hand on both of our shoulders and communicate to him for me. This is what he cries. Thank you, guys. This is what he says. Look at Job. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, hold on. I'm the mediator. Just kidding. <laughs> you can't shake each other's hand. All right. Job 9, 32 says, he, God, is a man like me, uh, is not a man like me that I might answer him. And he says that we might confront each other in court. He says, man, you, I can't put God on trial. Some of you guys, you want to put God on trial. God, how dare you? You know, and you want to contest everything he does. You can't put God on trial. He says, if only there was someone to arbitrate between us, a mediator, to lay his hand upon us both. Someone to remove God's rod or his wrath from me so that this terror would, uh, so that his terror would frighten me no more. See, God is, is righteous and, 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 and wrathful and he's a consuming fire. And Job's like, if there was just someone who could stand between me and God, if there was just someone, verse 35, then I would speak up without fear of him. But as he now stands with me, I cannot. I need a mediator. And look what he says by Job 16. He says, verse 19, even now my witness, we now know as Jesus, is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor, that's Jesus, is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as a man pleads for his friend. Only a few years will pass before I go on to the journey of no return. He says, I'm going to die soon, and I'm going to see him. Look what he says by Job 19. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Vindicator, the one who rescues me, is real. And that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. He's coming to earth. This is a prophecy. Job sees Jesus coming, and he says, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. I will see him. How my heart yearns within me. He says, my heart is calling out for a mediator, my Savior. And he lives. And he lives. In his pain, he saw Jesus, the one who would come and stand in his place to put his hand on both of their shoulders and rescue. We see this in 1 Timothy 2.5. It says, Paul says to Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. 
Jesus the vindicator. So what are you going through? What's your storm? What's your pain? What's your suffering? What do you have on your lips? What do you have on your lips? Job chose to have praise on his lips, to have blessing on his lips, to thank God, saying, God, whatever you have given me, it's yours to begin with. If you want to take it, you can take it. And I'm thankful for what I have given, uh, what you've given, even if it's for a little bit that I get to have it. You are enough. See, there are three mediators in the book of Job that give us a picture of Jesus. There's the mediator Messiah, the redeemer, who, who uh, Job speaks of. And then there's the mediator Elihu, who's the mediator between Job and his friends. And then there's the mediator Job, who we find later, who mediates between his friends and God, who stands in their gap. Job saw Jesus 2,000 years before his birth. Can you see him today? Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you are with us this morning and that you are so good and faithful. Lord, if there's anyone here going through pain and suffering and trial, Lord, I pray that we would have on our lips, hallelujah, that we would have on our lips praise, that we would have on our lips uh, a blessing to you of gratitude and thankfulness. Uh, let's all stand for just a moment. I'm going to have the ushers come forward and get ready, but don't pass the offering yet. Um, if you're here this morning and you're going through uh, pain, if you're going through a trial right now, if you're going through a struggle, maybe your heart is heavy right now. Will you praise him? Will you thank him? Maybe you've lost someone you love. Thank him for the season that you had. Maybe you've lost your health. God, thank you that I'm alive. Maybe you've lost a job. Thank you, God, that I am taken care of in spite of it. God, whatever I have is yours. You are enough. Will you just tell him right now, God, I thank you and I bless you. I love you. Hallelujah. It means praise the Lord. Will you just praise him? God, I praise you. You are God, I am not. With your own lips, with your own lips, replace what's been on your lips with praise. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Thank you for the Redeemer, Jesus, who stands before me as my friend, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.